I want to talk about lost people are lost. And, you know, we should hear about reaching the lost. Um, I am convinced of this. You should not teach Christians like they're lost. Thank you. Because what you would do is make them feel convicted about the past, which has been removed, and it's not there, and God's not holding it against them. And so we need to recognize uh, that there are lost people out there and that lost people are lost. And that may sound like a catchy statement or phrase, but it's huge. That statement, lost people are lost, is big. I mean, it's really big. Because think about this. Have you ever run into a naturally lost person? Nobody has. Thank you. In other words... Lost people, there have been people, you were driving down the street, you went to the gas station, and somebody drove in, and they start asking people for uh, assistance because they're like, I'm lost. And lost people are lost. That means they don't know where they're at, they don't know how to get to where they want to go. They know, hey, there's something there, and I'm, I'm trying to get there. But we need to remember this. Lost people are lost. Sometimes I think when, when once we've given our life to the Lord and had a chance to grow in the Lord, uh, we forget that lost people are lost. You say, what do you mean by that? I can't believe they act like that. They just, they act so bad, those people over there, and they talk like that, like something's wrong with them. You with me? Because lost people are lost, but sometimes people think, why don't they act like me? Or why don't they act like they're supposed to? And we've forgotten that lost people are lost, and people who are lost need directions. That's a fact. And if you ran into a lost person, say at the mall, uh, and they're like, do you know where this store is? They know it's there. They just don't know where it is. And you're just like, I can't believe you. You know, or you run into a person, you know, trying to find their way. And you're, they're like, I don't know where I'm at. I'm trying to get to this place. Can you help me? I don't, I can't believe you. Now, we would never hopefully do that to somebody naturally but are we, are we being careful to recognize that there are spiritually people who are lost and that are going to be acting? You know, lost people are not always real purposeful. I went into a store the other day and the lady said, are you lost? And I thought, no, I'm in the building. But if you mean, do I know where I'm going to find the thing? I didn't tell her this. I just basically admitted, yeah, I'm lost. I mean, I'm there. I just don't know where this thing is and stuff is that I need. And so I asked her. She saved me time. Are you with me? It, if we're not careful, we could um, prolong people's lostness. Serious. We could prolong people being lost. How many times have people been hungry for the truth and know I'm empty and they're just wandering around in life and they start recognizing, well, it's not natural things. I've tried 
drugs or alcohol or I've tried this. So they, they recognize what my problem is is something spiritual. So instead of somebody telling them and directing them, there are other groups out there that have been formed and then people will just go right into that and get bound and they'll be following things that will keep them lost. And they'll say, I'm on a spiritual journey. But you can still be lost. You with me? And so I know that a lot of times when people come to church, it's a lot of, well, what can I consume that's for me? You know, can I sense God? Can God do something in my life? What am I going to get there? And I think there's validity to that. We should consider that. You know, am I getting fed right? Is God moving there? Are things happening? Well, I think that's important because I don't want to go someplace where it's dead. But on the other hand, I don't think we should just be so into ourselves that we're not thinking about other people and that there's lots of lost people. And, uh, you know, when we go into a restaurant, maybe the majority of them are lost. That doesn't mean jump up on the table and go, hey, now, everybody. Because they may ask you to leave. And then other people may get turned off. But there are opportunities. And what I'm saying is if we don't take the opportunities that are afforded to us, people that are lost could get on another wrong road and go down a certain path and and uh, stay lost for a while. You with me? And I know in my own life that there have been things like that where I've run into people and they were hungry. I started talking to them and then somebody else came and said, hey, you should check this out and try this out. And they did. And all of a sudden they're still lost and they're tangled up now in something else. And sometimes people refuse other things because they're like, well, now I've got it. And then after a while, they recognize, no, I don't. And so lost people are lost. I mean, I know that's a play on word, but it's so true. The state of a lost person, somebody who doesn't know the Lord, is lost. You know, I remember uh, in my teenage years laying in bed at night thinking, why in the world was I even born? And, I, and even in elementary school thinking, why was I even born? And there's nothing I can do about that because I wasn't involved in the process. And then I would think, and you, you know, and I would think, well, there's got to be more to life. This can't be, this is not it. You know, and you can know the Lord and not even be walking with him where you're satisfied. But that's not what I'm talking about. You know, there is something in people that know, that they know or will come to know, this isn't it, and they're going to search. And I'm convinced that's why a lot of people do a lot of the things they do, and I'm convinced that that's why all the world religions are out there, because of the place in man that wants to know God. And so they attempt to know God, they attempt uh, to go after God, and really Christianity, what's so different about it is God went after man. And that's the huge thing. All these other religions are attempts based on something void in them. And the difference with Christianity, Bible, 
Christianity is that God came to find man. And so that's important. And somebody might say, well, if God came to do that, then God's got it covered. Well, God does have it covered, but he does expect us to do a certain thing. Luke 19 tells us that, and Jesus said this, that his purpose in coming to the earth, uh, he said, for the Son of Man in 1910, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, if he came to seek, to pursue, to go after that which is lost, the question then is, who are these ones that are lost? Who counts? Who matters? Because if you're not careful uh, in life, you can start thinking all kinds of stuff and not really recognize uh, who the Lord came for. And you can start disassociating in your mind that those people are horrible. They should go to hell. You could. People have. I know Christians that say they deserve hell. They, they did this or they did that. They deserve hell. Um, we all deserved hell. Period. We all have done wrong. Hell was not made for man. It was made for the angels, the Bible said, that left their first estate. We as Christians should never say, when we see some horrible thing, a mother on TV who, who drowns her kids, you know, and kills her little kids, she deserves hell. No, no, we all deserve hell. She's going to end up in prison. But if we really as Christians knew what hell was, we would not, if we had an experience and saw what hell was really like, there's not one Christian who, if they were abused, would say, I want my abuser to go there. Not one. So he said, that makes no sense to me. Because hell is beyond what people recognize it as, and it's become like a little coin phrase. Now, am I trying to excuse uh, abuse on somebody? No, I'm not. Parties in the severity of hell right now. I think sometimes we look at political parties the way our nation is right now, and we think that group of people they're horrible. And you could say it either way, or every party and every person. And then if we look at what they're doing, we forget what they are. We forget we all are what they are or were what they were. We're human beings that God ultimately has a purpose for, ultimately wants to do something good. It was never his intention for man to be harmed, hurt, trodden down, messed up. And, uh, but people can go in all different kinds of ways. Lost people will. And even people 
who don't have a vision in the Lord, the Bible said they run unbridled if you're not focused. And so we shouldn't look at those people and say, they should go to hell. They're horrible. You need to be careful uh, that you separate uh, politics and all that and make sure that's not your primary life. Realize there's lost people out there doing lost things and we should love them. We should think there's no reason that person would act like this and do this if they really knew the Lord. And then some of them may claim to know the Lord. Well, yeah, that's the ones I'm talking about. They should be... You're getting all worked up. Have you prayed for them lately? Oh, yeah. Just like I read in the Bible when Peter and James said, Lord, is it time for us to call down fire and consume them? <laughs> Jesus, you know what Jesus said to them? Give me five minutes and if they don't change, then go ahead. No, he said, you don't even know what kingdom you're of. In other words, if you're acting like that, you don't even know what kingdom you're of. You don't even know where you're coming from. You don't know the source of what I'm here to do. Jesus, most people know that God so loved the world. You know, John 3, 16. You know, all you had to do is watch football in the years gone by. The guy with the wig and the sign. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It would have been nice if there was a guy next to him with John 3, 17. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him. So if Jesus didn't even come to condemn them, and those guys were doing wrong, and Peter and James and John are like, you know, let's call down fire. Let's consume the adversary. Maybe we should pray for the adversary that they might be saved. And not just that they might be saved because that's not effective because you're just basically saying, Lord, I want them to be saved. And he's already said, I want them to be saved. So now we're in agreement, but we still haven't done anything to get them saved. So we would pray, Lord, send laborers across their path so they could hear the message because lost people are lost. They need directions. You with me? And how many times have people given wrong directions? Well, let me tell you what I think about this. I remember I went to do a funeral one time and a minister told me he just, you know, the person was not saved. They did not know the Lord. And he basically encouraged me to tell all the people that, that the guy's in heaven. I was pretty not pleased with that. Because here I am thinking I'm here to share, and I'm not going to sit there and go, I just want to let you all know this guy's in hell right now. But at the same time, should I relieve somebody and get people to go, I'm okay, when they're not okay? So I told them how to get to heaven, and I didn't say, oh, this guy's in a better place. It's wild that the things we say and that become socially acceptable that we accept. And we write, rest in peace. What does that do? Absolutely nothing. And it leads to deception or could if somebody didn't know better and, well, they're a Christian, rest in peace. How does that work in hell? 
Well, one thing we know is they've gone to a better place. I mean, how do you know they went? Did they give their life to Jesus? Had they received eternal life? I'm not talking about their actions. I'm talking, you know, just general, did they do good enough? Did they give their life to the Lord? And so to say, well, they're in a better place. I don't say that if I don't know. I'm praying for you. You know, meaning for the person. But I have to be honest. I thought, man, if I got up in front of this group of people here and they knew this guy didn't serve God, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't want anything to do with them, and I said, you know, one thing is, is he's in a better place right now. I thought, I'll be accountable for all these people. Because they'll go, well, this is a minister who just told us this. This, 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 this is a, a guy who knows And if he's the guy who knows, and we're supposed to trust him, and he said, this guy's in heaven, I'm okay. We need to recognize whether it's politicians or whatever, they're worthy to be saved. Not because of their deeds, but because the state they're in, they're lost. And it's the same way with the boss. Some of the most brutal people, when they come to know the Lord, can become some of the sweetest people and the nicest people. But the difference is some have eternal life out there we run into and others don't. I don't think we should preach to society about morality either. Because, you know, Jesus said, go into all the world and tell everybody, quit it. Straighten up. Quit doing that. No, he said, go preach to the lost. Because when a person gets saved and they come to know Jesus, something in them changes. I remember praying with this girl that I grew up around and we, we'd been friends, we're still friends. And her father had passed away and I had actually had an opportunity to witness to him and pray with him. And, uh, so she called me on the phone and, and I said, you know, I had talked to her a little bit about the Lord and a little bit about the Lord. And I said, you know, would you like to receive him? And she was thinking, well, am I going to have to, what am I going to have to do? Am I going to have to go to your church? I, mean, I said, all you're going to need to do is give your life to the Lord. Because some people are like, do I have to give up sinning? Do I have to do this? What do I got to do? You need to give your life to the Lord. And so she prayed on the phone, and gave her life to the Lord. And when she prayed, something went off on the inside of me. It was good. I was like, whoa. And uh, so we hung up. I didn't say anything. I didn't call her. Come, What are you going to do? What are you doing? Something started working in her. She really got saved. And I'm not saying this is the way to do it every time. I think we should encourage people. When we bring the loss to the Lord or bring them to church so they can know the Lord, I think we should encourage them in their walk. But this girl eventually, in a short, like maybe not, not a long time, came to church. And I remember she had a Catholic background, and she wasn't saved, but she had some religion, uh, religious upbringing, and she came and she's like, wow, this is something. She said, I noticed from that day 
that I prayed, something changed inside of me. And my thought is, is if the Lord did something inside of you, who's responsible for the work, me or him? Should I encourage people? Sure. But I have to believe that God is also working in people too. If it's just all me up here preaching, then what's going to happen? Is it going to help you if, if there's no life and God's not doing things? Because then it just becomes another book. But the book itself is alive. And then the Spirit of God teaches, convinces, convicts, illuminates people in the Word. So there's something going on there. Well, if I expect that in my relationship with God, I expect that in your life. But the minute somebody gets saved, there's an interesting verse in the book of Hebrews. It says, nobody will say to his neighbor or to his friend, talking about Christians, do you know the Lord? He said, for you will all know him personally from the least to the greatest. Now, we may admire people's walk with the Lord and what's going on, but there isn't a Christian, somebody who's given their life to the Lord, that doesn't have something personal in them from the Lord that he'll work through and work in. And we need to trust that and realize they may lean on it or they may not lean on it. They may lean on their own understanding and choose their own way, but there's still a difference between them and someone else who doesn't know the Lord. And so I think it's important that sometimes we do house cleaning. Say what somebody said, like, are you serious? I knew this would come up. I knew I shouldn't have left all that stuff out. Yeah, we're going to go look at your house today. No, I mean internal head house cleaning where we kind of get rid of stuff when we get, because if you're judgmental, you can start thinking people, certain people are not worthy of salvation. Not worthy of me witnessing to them. What if I brought somebody who was, didn't look like everybody, can't do that. You need to clean that out of your head. And you need to realize if people are judging that, they got issues because who does the Lord want to reach, you know? And so we need to, instead of downing people and downing politicians and downing certain people who voted for this person or who go here and do this, we should recognize they're worthy, not based on their own deeds, but on what Jesus did to be saved. So, I mean, some of the great people that we follow are like in the Bible were brutal, bad people. I mean, Paul murdered in prison people. And, and uh, well, we know him as Saul, but as he walked with God, the Lord changed his name. And we look at him and he was just bad. Timothy, if you look at this one part where it says he was an angry, whatever, it literally reads he was violently arrogant. And here we are, we love what he's got to say because he was used mightily by God. He didn't start like that. So there's some people out there that they, got, they get saved, they would have so much fire, they'd keep you warm. <laughs> I'm serious. They'd get so on fire, you'd get uncomfortable. Whew, it's hot being around them. 
You know what I mean? But they just need, lost people are lost. They need direction. They need guidance. And they're out there wondering, what is the purpose of life? What will satisfy? One famous minister, a well-known minister, said that the turmoil of life and the upheaval of politics and all the different things, uh, like even in the 60s, the when there was the free sex movement, you know, and, and all the drugs and heroin and all these different things, they even said concerning that time, that upheaval was an upheaval of soil in the heart, really. And it's a great time when the soil is loosened up to put a seed in of the gospel. And we live in a society where if we're not careful, we could get mad at people who don't look at everything like us, but there's an upheaval in the soil of man's heart. People recognize the world is not in a good place. People recognize there is just bad stuff. And that this nation is in the middle of a situation. And the world is in the middle of a situation. And there's such upheaval on the campuses of the world. And in and, and workplace and hostilities. And people just living anyway. This is wonderful. Because Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look. In other words, your head can be down. And notice that the fields are already white under the harvest. In other words, when there's this kind of upheaval, people are looking for stuff. People are out there looking. And so if lost people are lost, then Jesus said there that he came to seek and save those who are lost. But you know Jesus isn't here anymore. Now he's here by his spirit. But he's not here physically to go around and do the things he did. And therefore he left the responsibility to us. Turn to Luke 14. Luke 14. The responsibility of reaching people is on people. Lost people are lost. Remember I said that? In other words, if you're lost, you don't know where you are. Well, I know I'm on the planet. I know I'm in this city, I think. You know, I've been hiking with people and sometimes my humor is really, I even think it's twisted <laughs> sometimes. You know, but, well, I mean, I've been hiking before and then there are people like, I'm like, text them, where are you guys at? I want to meet you. They're like, by the big green tree by the hill. Uh, we're in the mountains. I've been walking for 40 minutes, and all I've seen is hills and trees. Could we clarify this a little bit? And there's people out there that are lost that need clarification. They don't know where to go. Don't know what to do. Some have stumbled upon. I believe God has supernaturally led people. But at the same time, there's a part where people who are found can help lost people. People who have found the way can help others find the way. One thing that I think is a mistake is, you know, there if you hike or you go really outdoors hiking, you can get what they call topographical maps, you know, with the, has the elevations. 
you can kind of figure out where you are if you can read that decently and you're willing to walk a little bit. You go, well, this, here I am. And I wonder if, and I wonder if people have not reached lost people because they thought, what can I tell them? I don't know enough. I don't know what that person knows. There's no way I can tell these people. I mean, what if you were down at the gas station down the street and, and you know, a couple miles down is Costco and you knew where it was and you're like, well, I just don't know that much. I would tell you where Costco is, but I just don't know that much. And somebody's like, well, where is Costco? I just don't know that much. Well, you know how to get to Costco. Yeah, but I don't know that much. I'm, just, I'm intimidated. You with me? We should recognize directions that are good are usually real simple. Right? You go past the house that has the four, four trees. And you're like, great, there's one, there's one. There's one with four. No, simple instructions are important. So no matter if you do grow a bunch with God, don't depend on your knowledge. Depend on, like the Bible said, through the simplicity of the message of Christ, people are saved. Right? And so here in Luke uh, 14, 16 is a, to me, a pretty awesome story. It said, then he said to them in verse 16, 14th chapter, 16th verse, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Now, this is a parable showing what the kingdom of God is truly like. And um, if people really knew that God's not holding stuff against them, you know, we look at people and go, well, they are sinning like this, and they're sinning like that. Why don't we get them to the person who's got the cure that can deliver them? And let them come lost, however they are. And let the Lord do a powerful work in them. And let the gospel do what it can do because it is powerful within itself. If we believe that, we should let it work. You know, people, you know, athletes, you know, some want to get an edge in, in their their sport, and so they'll take enhancing drugs. And years ago, baseball was riddled with people, you know, who took, I almost said asteroids, steroids. Those, those will crush you if you take asteroids. Steroids, though, will pump you up. And I don't think people, you know, that are selling them, we might as well call them asteroids, selling them, you know, steroids. Good thing I didn't say selling them hemorrhoids. And uh, it's all these roids, you know. And so they, they give them those. And I don't think that the person selling them just comes and hangs over them. I really want this to work. And I know I saw you take those or inject yourself. Just, you know, oh, Lord, I hope that works. No. There's power in the pill or the injection, and it will go to work. We need to believe that there's greater power in the message we have 
to work in people. And then we have to realize God's the enforcer. He's going to do it because he loves people. He's going to deal with them. And so we need to trust in the message, not so much in the, me, the messenger. Notice this. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And it's talking about the kingdom of God and people coming to the Lord and serving him. And it says, and, and he sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited. Who is invited? Everybody. The Bible said that Christ died for all. Therefore, all were dead in their sins. So that means everybody's invited. Well, where, where are they going to get an invitation? They're, if the great advertisement, we have invite cards in the lobby. But we can leave those there. We can buy, we can buy hundreds of thousands of those. We could buy, what, what do they say? It's like 7.5 billion people. And in like four years, it's going to be 8 billion people. We could buy 8 billion cards now. And I, we probably fill all the buildings and stuff. But if we had those and we already purchased the invite cards, that doesn't mean people got the invite cards. Christ has already purchased what they need. He died for all. They just need the invite card. They just need to be told, come and see, he, this is the way. And then if it doesn't, if he doesn't do something, then I don't know what to say. But we know he will. So the issue is, I mean, how many of us know of a good restaurant and we just are like, come on, man, you got to go. You got to try it. Then after they go, they think you're the savior. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's the best restaurant. But this is way bigger than that. And so he sent his servants out at supper. And, and uh, it says at supper time to say to those who were invited, come. Everybody's invited. But what does the Lord tell us to do? He tells us, tell people to come. Somebody said, well, you know, I just don't know what to say. I got it right here. Come. Just come. For all things are now ready. We could say it like this. Come. The Lord's already got what you need. It's already paid for. Come. Now, I understand different people have different things and needs and you can, but whatever it is, the Lord's got it. And he's not withholding. But it says this, verse 18, but they with all with one accord begin to make excuses. Wow. Here's a thought. That not everybody you talk to and say, come, will come, because people will have an excuse. Hopefully, we're not the one with the excuse. That's sad because they don't realize who you're representing in the come, everything's provided. 
But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Who? All these people that were invited. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have, have me excused. In other words, I got a real good reason. You know, I just invested some money in this and this thing right here is of great value. Which was of more value? The land or the supper? Oh, this invitation to the Lord was bigger, way bigger than any land. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought. Notice that this is all they bought. And what you buy and what people buy won't ever satisfy you. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and, and I'm going to test them. I ask you, to give me excuse. You ever notice in your own life when you bought something that you really like? You want to get it out of the box and you want to try it. And you want to put it into motion and you want to put it into practice and you want to give it a once over. How many times have people allowed things into their life and they said, I got to give this a once over. I can't do this that's important. There's no five yoke of oxen, no jet ski, no sea dew, no motorcycle, no off-road vehicle, no boat, no plane, no earthly treasure, you know, whatever it is, a new bicycle, whatever it is, new car, because, you know, you ever get a new car, and then you're like, I mean, it doesn't matter the type of car. You get home, you want to go for a ride? You want to go for a ride? You want to go for a ride? Anybody want to go for a ride? I'm going for a ride. You know, it, it was last week when somebody said, hey, can you go to the store and get me something? You're like, oh, come on, serious? Now you're like, you need anything from the store? I'll drive. And you got this thing you added to your life. Be careful what you add to your life. And then always keep it in its place. Because people who are tend towards getting stuff, be careful why you get things. Because maybe it's you're trying to plug this thing in here into that and make it work. Hallelujah. But this person who got this said, I can't do this. How many people honestly would say, I mean, think about it. He's I, I want to do some work. That's why I can't come. But people find excuses. Verse 20, still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Well, that seems pretty valid. My spouse doesn't want me to come. You know, be careful who you marry. Make sure you who you marry wants to go to the feast too. And if they don't want to go, you still need to go. And he said, still another, I'm married, I married a wife, therefore I cannot come. All the other ones said, please excuse me, can we be excused? This one, change the standard. I ain't coming. What makes us not come? Or I should say people. 
So verse 21, so that servant came and reported these things to his master, who is a picture of the Lord. Then the master of the house being angry. I mean, think of all that the Lord has paid for. Man. And the Lord doesn't want to die in vain. Being angry and said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you command, and still there is room. Then the master said, in other words, we even did that too, and there's still space. I mean, it doesn't matter if we got the biggest building in the city there's still space in the kingdom. It doesn't matter if every church maxed out in reaching people and seeing people get born again. There's still space as long as there's someone lost. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. The ones who rejected it are not going to get it. And it's not up to God. He just said, because they don't want it, they're not going to get it. I provided it. Now, I do understand there's an implication here of him talking about the Jews. Because they rejected Christ. And he's basically, the Gentiles were considered the horrible ones. Us. And... So those who it was created first to come to, the Jew first, then the Gentile, they're like, no. So he went out to compel the others to come in. What we need to recognize, John 14, 6, a familiar verse of Scripture, Jesus said, I am the way. One place the Bible said, I am the only way. There is no other way. It would be good for people just to go, okay, I'm not going to fight this. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried this. I've tried that. And that doesn't do it. I've tried all this stuff. It's only this. We need to recognize there is a way. There is a way and there's one way. That's not being mean. It's being helpful. It is. It's being helpful to people to tell people there's only one way to God. I mean, if you want fulfillment and you want God's love in your life, that's it. Acts 4.12 says this, uh, as they were preaching the gospel, the, the early disciples and apostles, in the middle of this message, he makes this statement about salvation and, and receiving the Lord in Acts 4.12, it says this, and if I'm in the right place, I don't even know if I'm in the right place. Oh, here we go. Now there is, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among man. This is for people. You know, because even people say, you think the devil could be saved? No, salvation is not for them. Which, by which they must be saved. Must be saved. 
How is it they must be saved? Another translation reads this way. Salvation exists in no one but Jesus. It exists there. Well, if, if people are lost and lost people need directions, then we should know that the answer is in Jesus no matter how unpopular it is. I'm going to read this last verse right here. John 1, John's Gospel, the first chapter. We need to recognize, and I think we're taught pretty good here about these kinds of things. If you've given your life to the Lord, you're a new creation. You don't live under the shame of the past, or you shouldn't. You, you don't live under the guilt of maybe God will accept me or maybe he doesn't. We recognize we're accepted in the beloved. But there is a case here that there is a lost world out there who doesn't know the Lord, who the Lord is very interested in them. He's very interested in you because you've come into a relationship with him if you know him, but he's also very interested in them. So don't, don't look at the cover of the book out there and think, well, those people are pretty horrible and they're really bad and get angry at them. Recognize they need the Lord. We know the way. You know, I, uh, the guy who led me to the Lord to commit my life to him, I remember he was on drugs and he sold drugs and I bought drugs from him and sold drugs. And uh, he, uh, his wife uh, started praying for him that he might be saved. She knew about the gospel. So she's praying for him to give his life to the Lord, surrender his life to the Lord. And uh, just wanting a changed husband, a different husband, a new person. And he gave his life to the Lord. A few months later, he's witnessing to me, I give my life to the Lord. She did not expect what happened to happen. She didn't. She didn't like it either. She didn't. She, she didn't like me and didn't like what happened to him. After I gave my life to the Lord, she did not like me. And she was not real pleased with what happened to him. Lord, I want you to really do a big work in him. He did a big work. Man, he, he, nobody told him to quit cussing to change, and he just started being transformed. Instead of going and wasting all their money on drugs and stuff, he's in church. He's in church on Monday night. He's in prayer Tuesday morning before work. He's there Wednesday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night. And all our friends are getting saved. And she wanted a Christian. She should have said, Lord, I'd like you to save my husband, but help him just to be backslidden, though, halfway. <laughs> just barely serve you. Just enough so he's not like this, but not like the Bible would have him. She forgot to pray that. You know, if he'd go once a month or once in a while, that'll be okay. And if he reads occasionally, that'll be good. That's really what she wanted. God gave her what she prayed for. She didn't like it. Thank you for your excitement. It's a true story. We're going to close with this verse right here. John 1, verse 12. 
And, and the big thing is, is when we talk about lost people, we want them to come to know the Lord. It's one of the most simple things, but the most profound. And there's such a fight in the world about it, but it is the answer when you run into a lost people, a lost person. You can bring them here. We'll tell them this very thing. But the same thing is true for us telling them. Verse 12 says this, the first chapter, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them, those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Super simple. And that's muddied water too, because you can watch TV and nobody believes in the Lord. Nobody believes in Jesus. Nobody believes in God. Then when they wax religious, they just say, we're all the children of God. Anybody ever notice that? Oh, we're all the children of God. You know, if we got Jesus's commentary, when he met the religious people, he said, you're up your father, the devil. What if a newscaster said that? Hey, I just came to find out I'm a child of the devil. And so are you if you don't know the Lord. Well, that's not so inviting, but it's the truth sometimes. Sometimes. 